storage for that. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 14. We've been there for a few weeks now, um, just going through uh, the whole book, actually. Um, one of the most important things that we can do in our lives is understand God's truth. He's given us his, his, his word for that in Scripture. And so rather than come and try and develop this innovative and catchy uh, series, I'm, that's not my strength. I'm not good at that. I can read the Bible, and he speaks to me, and I share it with you. So that's what I do every week. And so if you haven't been here, that's just kind of what we do. Uh, we've been in the book of John for a long time, and uh, that's okay. We'll get to the end of it eventually. And then you know what? We'll do another book of the Bible. So it's, uh, it's not like we're going to stop learning. Um, but uh, this, this chapter is a very special chapter because I, I believe it's a very special chapter because Jesus is dealing very personally and pastorally with his disciples. There's some intense things happening. And, and so I, I just felt like it was important that we slow down through this and, and take a close look at it. I need to build off of last week just a little bit so that everybody can catch on, uh, so that we, you can understand the questions I'm asking. Last week we dealt with a question of, of what our life should look like. What should it be, or, or, or should the Christian lifestyle, should a Christian's life look different than the person that lives just every day in the culture and is not a believer? Should, should our lives have a distinction about them? And, and the answer was, and, and remains to be, yes. There should be an overarching theme about our lives. There should be this mark in our lives that's different than anybody else's in that as believers who love Jesus Christ, we are to be obedient. That, that mark of obedience should be that thing that, that moves us and, and, and helps us to live and, or, or gives us ways to respond to Christ. He's called us to be obedient to His commands. We, we recognized last week that that obedience is not... It's not a means to an end. It's not our opportunity for, for, for us to manipulate God into loving us more. It's not like I can obey commands and say, okay, God, now I've obeyed and now you can love me. It's not as if I can go before God and say, I'm obedient, you owe me something. This is what I want. Would you, would you just go ahead and fulfill this once, this thing that I desire? It's not as if we can look at obedience and say, this is, this is our method to, 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 to manipulating God into acting as if, as, as if we're in control of Him. God is here. He's up here. He is, he is the one who gives commands. He's the one with authority. He's the one with power. He's the one that says things, and they are so. We are down here. We can only respond. And the Bible teaches us clearly, and we studied it last week, that, that those who love Jesus will obey Him, not as a means to an end, but as a direct result of that deep and abiding love that's built in us. And so as we come to believe and as we recognize Jesus as our Savior, as we recognize Him as the man who laid down His life, who suffered and died, whose, whose body was broken and bloody so that you and I could know life, as we recognize Him as that person, we come to love Him because of what He did. And then as we come to understand what He did and then recognize who He is, that He is God in flesh, Oh, then it builds in us this, this adoration and this, and this love for Him. And every week, rather than coming here and hoping that you hear something about some special method, that, that this 12-step process, that now you can be a good Christian, now you can manage your money properly, I'm going to bring to you a message that I hope exalts Jesus Christ. It builds in you a deep and abiding love for Him. Because I know out of that natural and deep and, and, and active love for Jesus Christ, you will become obedient. 
You will become a person that seeks to, to follow Him, to, to live as He lived, to manage your money as He says to manage your money, to, to, to be a parent as He says to be a parent, to be a child as He says to be a child. You see, and, and to, to live in this world in the way that He called us to live in it. That's the obedience. Well, that's, that's great, Seth. That's great. I know that's what I need to do. I know that if I love Jesus, then, then I'll obey Him. But I know also now that I'm speaking to people that, that every day I, I know I'm speaking to people who love Jesus and who, who, who desire to do the right thing, who, who are fighting the good fight, who are striving every day to do that right thing, that thing that would be pleasing to Him and, and that would honor Him and glorify Him. But I also know that those very same people every day, and I'm with you, we fail. You see, Paul talked about this struggle that goes on, this war that rages in us. This, this war that rages inside of us. That, and, and as he described it, he talked about doing the things that he didn't want to do and not doing the things that he wanted to do. And I know that this is a, a war that's, that, that there is to fight and that every day, every day, we're faced with this war. I love Jesus and I want to do right by Him. I want to honor Him with my life. But there's things that my flesh desires and I find myself doing things that I don't want to do and not doing things that I should do. So how is it, if, if this fight is real, if this is, if this is true, and if, if, if I'm to love Jesus and that love is going to lead to obedience, how in the world is it ever going to happen? How is it that we can sing songs and, and, and plead for Him? to show us His love and His grace. How is it that we can ever think that this is going to be a reality? Because as Jesus spoke and He taught to His disciples, He gave them a promise that showed them. You see, it's really interesting. If you think back to what, what Jesus has been dealing with with His disciples, I'll just, I'll just summarize it for you. He's been talking to them about the very fact that He's leaving them. They have given their life for the last three years. Everything about their life has been following Jesus, going where He goes, doing what He says, and now He's gone. He's going to be leaving them. And they're like, what do we do now? They're, they're, they're distraught. They're worried. They're nervous. They don't, they don't know what's going on. The world around them is falling apart. I mean, imagine. Here's, here's just an example. <clears throat> if one morning I decided not to show up, and I just decided that we were done here, I was done here. For those of you that are sitting in, the, in, in, in here today that are part of the, 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 the membership, the core of this church, what do you think would happen? There's really a lot of responsibility on the person who leads. And I'm not saying that to pump myself up, and I'm not saying that in some way to exalt myself over you. I'm just saying that there's an important role to be filled in the leader. I'm trying to give you an understanding of what that looks like. These guys have been following Jesus for three years. They recognized that in Him was the authority, the power, the, the, the wherewithal to see the mission through. And they knew that once He was gone, things were going to just fall apart. And they were scared to death. And Jesus begins to deal with them in a very personal and pastoral way. And he says to them, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Quit thinking about my leaving and remember my returning. 
You see, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And that place is going to be beautiful, and you're going to love it there. And, and when it's ready, and when all the work is done, when everything is accomplished, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. And I'm going to bring you to be with me. And that will last forever. And then he says, you know what? Not only should you remember my returning, in, in, in thinking that the power is gone, in thinking that you are going to have no ability to, to convince people of the things that you've got to tell them, forget that. You see, all you have to do is ask in my name, and I will do it for you. You see, the power was going to continue. His, his presence in their lives and, and the power that, that he established or, or demonstrated... It was still going to be there, and it was simply going to be at their request. As they asked in His name, as they did things that would honor Him and glorify Him, as they said, Jesus, this is not about us, but it's about You, and He recognized them to be true and honest, He would fulfill that request. The power would, would, would continue. And then He says, you know what? When you don't know how to respond, when you don't know what to do, obey Me. Because those who love me, obey me. So he, he's giving them this, these very pastoral, practical ways to, to comfort them, to let them know that, that his power is still going to be there, that, that he is not leaving them forever, that he will return, and that when they don't know what else to do, they can simply obey. Just obey. Just do the things I've told you to do. Follow the commands I've given you to follow. But you know, if, if his comfort had ended there, if, if that had been the last thing that he had to say, if, if that was it, I am convinced that the church would not exist, exist today. I'm convinced that in some way the church would have failed. Because when you leave something to men and women by ourselves, the newness will eventually wear off. The work and the pressure can become too great. And oftentimes it requires us not getting what we want so that what He wants done can be done. But you see, it didn't end there. The comfort, the promises that He continued to make, it's in this reason, in this, in this answer that I believe that the church still exists today and it's also the answer to our question, how in the world can I live now? Because Jesus Christ, when He left, said that He wasn't leaving them alone, but that He was going to send one, a helper, to be with them. That's where we pick up our passage today. John chapter 14, we'll begin reading verse 16. We'll just read through verse 26. It says this, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I just want you to notice, this is for those who believe. If you're not a believer, you have no promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is, this is a promise to those who are believers. If you want the Holy Spirit, you must be saved. The world cannot recognize Him. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, 
He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you, that while I am still with you, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now there's a couple of things, there's a couple of takes on the Holy Spirit in our church culture today. And maybe this, maybe this even spills out into the world. But but there's those who are who are hyper charismatic about the Holy Spirit. Now there's those that are charismatic and, and believe in the gifts and, and believe in, in in the continuation of the speaking in tongues and prophecy and things like that. And I think they're well balanced. And I don't want to. I don't in in any way want to want to um, disparage them. I don't want to speak in, in any way against them. I just I just want to bring to light that there's two major themes or two major perspectives. And one is that that there are those that are hyper-charismatic in that they put so much focus on the Holy Spirit that they make the Holy Spirit not simply just uh, a, a part of the, 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 uh, the, the Godhead or a part of the Trinitarian view of God, but they make Him in some way this force or this power which they can control. And they measure His movement not by, not by the power, power that He works in the world around them or not by what He does within them, but by the number of tears that are shed and the guttural tones that are uttered. And if you don't in some way respond in the way they expect you to to the Spirit, then you must not have the Spirit. And He becomes to them a, a force or a, a power or, a, or, or like an electricity. This, this, this emotional flow. And then there are those who, who respond to that movement. And rather than respond to the Scriptures and bring Scriptures to, the, to light, they begin to respond to one another and they feed off of one another and, and one goes further to the, to, the, to the left and the other goes further to the right because they're working against one another and they're trying to prove the other wrong and they become so dry and dead because they have moved away totally from the teaching of the Holy Spirit and they're scared to death to experience His power and presence in their lives. And there's many conservative Christian people, many theologians who I believe have oftentimes come to this place in fact, because of who, I know most of who I'm talking to today, because I know you personally, and I know what your church history is, and I know that, that, that likely this is the place in which most of us reside. Most of us in, in this room probably wake up every day and go about our lives and don't know what it's like to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how in the world can we live? How are we going to make it? How, how, how are we going to fulfill the commands of Christ? How, how, how am I going to find peace in the midst of turmoil and struggle? You see, I think we need to listen to what Jesus has to say about the Spirit. I think we need to understand that the Spirit is more than just this force that we can use to get our own way. I think we need to understand that the Spirit is not some, some lunatic's answer to this emotion that they feel. I think we need to hear Jesus. And the very first thing I think that we can learn from Him is that the Father sent the Spirit. Don't miss this. It's very plain. It's very simple. But He says the Father is going to send this Spirit. He's going to send another Helper. This is very important. 
because it came from God. It's something that, something that we need, something that's going to be right for us. We cannot mistake this. The Father sent Him. Our God, the God who created this world, the God who created you, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, this is His answer to Jesus' exit. He sent the Spirit. Well, who is it that He sent? The very first thing, that, the very first title that we see is, is Jesus says that He's going to send another Helper. Now, there's some critical keys here that you just have to understand a little bit of Greek to really catch on to, um, to, to really see what Jesus is saying. Uh, we need to start with the word another. It seems like a pretty insignificant word, another helper, not, not that big of a deal. But when you begin to understand that there's two words in the Greek that would be translated another, the first one is heteros, and that's really speaking about another of a different kind. For example, Brent and Heather, Brent's the music, music uh, guy, he's our, our worship pastor, that they have two different kinds of dogs. They have two German shepherds, and they have another heteros of a different kind, a chihuahua. How they decided on German shepherds and chihuahuas, I don't know. They don't go together in any way, really. It's really funny to see them together. But they're two different kinds of dogs, another of a different kind. They've got two different kinds of pets. They've got dogs, and they've got a cat. Heteros, it's another of a different kind. And then there is alas. And, 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 and that word is another of the same kind. This is the word that's used in this passage. You see, well, let me just give you an example. Because of my habits about the way I take my shoes off around the house and or sometimes even my socks and things, because of those habits, sometimes I can't find a shoe. And so when I get up in the morning, sometimes I go to put on my shoe and I need another shoe. But I don't want another shoe of a different kind. I want another shoe of the same kind. You see, because they're pairs. They go together. They're the, they're the same. Have you ever been there with me? My wife has done pretty good about helping me keep them in the same place. But It's another of the same kind. That's the word that's used in this passage. And so as Jesus says this to these men... These men who speak Greek, who understand some of the intricacies of it, they understand that another of the same kind is coming. Not just another anything either, another helper. The word is paraclete. And, 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 the, and, and as Jesus talks about this, it's not that Jesus is saying that there's another helper coming in the sense that hey, there's never been a helper before. It's, it's not as if as Jesus is saying another helper because there's, there's never been this role being fulfilled before. You see, this all ties back and gives us this understanding that as Jesus speaks about this other helper, this other helper of the same kind, that this helper is coming who may not be the same identity, who has his own personality, who, who in his own right is his own person, but is going to fulfill a role that is already being filled. You see, Jesus has been for them the helper. Imagine what it was like for them to walk with Jesus, to, to learn from Him, to see Him work His miracles and do these amazing things. Imagine what it was like to sit and listen to Him teach. He had authority and He, and he taught with His presence. People understood there was something different about Him. He was their helper, but He was leaving. God was going to send another of the same kind to continue helping. 
You see, in some people, and depending on the translation you read from, some people would say that that word paraclete should be translated counselor or or uh, comforter. And in this passage, we can recognize that Jesus truly was comforting his disciples. And so the context might lend itself towards that. But truly, to, to define that word in that narrow of a sense or that narrow of a role limits the role of the Holy Spirit. He has been sent to help. To help us. To do for us those things that we cannot do. But here's something very important. It's not just his role. It's not just what He's going to do that you need to understand. It's His identity. The idea behind another helper doesn't simply just help us understand that He's going to fulfill and do the same thing as that Jesus did. It helps us to see that He's the very presence and identity of God. You see, what Jesus is telling them is that God is coming. He is not going to leave you alone. You are not going to be by yourselves. He may be different in persons, but, but, but He's the same in essence. And in this, passage, in this passage, we see all three persons of the Trinitarian view of God at present. We see the Father ruling. We see Him sitting sovereign over all things. And, and you can look back, in fact, in, in uh, John chapter 14, you can look back just a few verses. Now, it's taken us weeks to get this far, but this is just moments for them. Just moments. And Jesus is telling them, the Father and I are one. I'm in the Father and, and, and He is in me. And, and, and we're together. We're unified. And in fact, if you don't get it and the cultural differences are a little too weird for you, the Jews got it. In fact, they were willing to kill Him for it. This is one of the things that infuriated them with Jesus. Because not only did He do wonderful things, not only did He demonstrate great power, not only did He teach against them and call them whitewashed tombs and, and all these things and that, that he cursed them. Not only did he do those things, but he stood up and he claimed to be God. And they wanted to kill him for it. And now he's saying this one that's coming is God. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. How are you not going to leave us as orphans? Because God is going to be here. How is it that you're going to make yourself known to me? Because God is going to be here. And you know what? This God that came for them is the same God that you and I have promised in our lives today too. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the God who created you. He is the God who saved you. He's the God who's saving you. He's the God who one day will glorify you. If that doesn't excite you and doesn't move you, this God, a very, this God who has the power to create and to, to, to do amazing things, He has made Himself available to us. He has come to be with us. That doesn't excite you and move you. Maybe knowing what He's come to do. Maybe knowing what, what, what His role is all about doing. Maybe that will get you. You see, He's come to be our helper. He does for us what we can't do. You want to live an obedient lifestyle? It's not in you to do that. Through the power of the Spirit, you can. He enables us to live that way. He empowers us to complete God's mission. 1 Peter chapter 4, 7-11 through 11. I love this passage because it's, it demonstrates a certain urgency to, to this mission and to this lifestyle. Peter's writing to a church that's suffering. 
He's hurting. And he, and he tells them, the end of all things is at hand. It's coming close. It's about to be over. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Now, I need to, I need to point out to you, you know where you're receiving this gift from? The power of the Spirit. This, the, the Holy Spirit gives you these gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Do you realize that as members of His body, as people in the church, you have been given a gift that demonstrates God's unmerited goodness, His goodness to His people? If you can speak, he just goes on to say, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, you and I have an opportunity to live in such a way that it demonstrates God's goodness not only to one another, but in front of the whole world. He has gifted us through His Holy Spirit to be on mission, to live in such a way that, that it, it brings Him glory, that it demonstrates the goodness and grace of God. And that comes through the power of the Spirit. He comforts when we're hurting. He counsels when we need advice. And He is an advocate for us. The Spirit, He is with us forever. Being given the Spirit is not something that comes and goes, that happens from time to time. It's not like one moment you have the Spirit and the next He's gone and that it's fleeting and, and boy, I wish I just always had the Spirit. Jesus Christ says in this passage, read it with me. He says in verse, um, I'm going to forget what verse. I think it's verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Oh no, it's verse 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Do you know what forever is? Do you know how to imagine forever? And we can't. It's never ending. It's, it's always going to be. And see, in some of these charismatic groups that, that, that take it to extremes, they think that in one moment I have the Spirit and the next moment I don't. And, and He had the Spirit yesterday, but today He's gone. Jesus tells us that the Spirit is there forever. You are never, ever alone once you've been given the Spirit. You are never out there by yourself. You are not left as orphans. The Spirit has been given to you. You know, I believe in the perseverance of the saints. And some people would call that once saved, always saved. I don't like that term because it's, too mis it's, it's just misused in too many ways. I believe in perseverance of the saints. Not because I did something one week and I walked down an aisle and I said a prayer and I got baptized, but because when the Spirit came in, the Spirit will never leave. You see, you're saved today not because you said those things, but because the Spirit moved into you. The Spirit indwells you. He makes you safe. 2 Corinthians 
121 and 22 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership on you and me. And He is there forever. Ephesians 1, 13-14, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is your seal. He's the seal of ownership on you. He's your guarantee of salvation. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, of it to the praise of His glory? God saved you, and He's staying with you. You will never be alone again. He leads us into truth. Another title that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit was the Spirit of Truth. It's another place that we see this unity between Jesus and and the Holy Spirit. I mean, just moments before, remember, this this passage has taken us weeks to get through. It's Jesus speaking to them in just moments. Just moments before He had told them in answer to Thomas, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And now he's talking to them about this helper, another helper, a helper of the same kind. He's talking to them about this spirit of truth. I think it would be misleading or a misrepresentation of this scripture not to point back to in some way Jesus using this as a way to connect him in the spirit, to demonstrate their unity on mission and in movement. You see, it's about the truth. It's about bringing to us what has been lost. It's about bringing us out of the darkness and into the light. The Jews had missed it. The Jews had gotten it wrong. They crucified the guy. They crucified the one that had done all of these things, who brought God's presence into flesh, who had brought to them the truth. And they crucified Him. And today there's this huge move to go talk to the rabbis, to understand what the rabbis have to say about the Scripture, to point back to what all the rabbis had to say about what the Scripture said. You know what? They missed it. They missed it. They killed Him. You don't need a rabbi. You need the Spirit. You see, He's given us His Word. He's shown us the truth. And he says, you know what? You're going to be able to understand it because I'm going to send you the Spirit who's going to enable you to understand it, who's going to enlighten you to see it, who's going to help you take it and, and, not just, and, and not just hear it, but believe it. He is the Spirit of truth and He leads us into truth. Don't turn to a rabbi. Call on the Spirit. You know, I, here just a minute ago, I used these fancy Greek words, and I, you know, I just want you to think I'm cool. I want you to think that I know what I'm talking about. I do. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes I do. But you know, here just just as an example, a couple of weeks ago, my mom sends me an email about uh, about a, a guy that sings this amazing rendition of Amazing Grace. A YouTube video, and, and if you're interested, I'll send you the link. But anyway, this, this video is on this guy's website, and she comes to me and she says, "Hey, do you did you look around the website?" I was like, "No, I saw the video, and I was 
pretty happy about that, and I just left. Well, she said, no, it's a really neat website. She said it's uh, called Paraclete Ministries, which it's truly Paracletos Ministries. But nonetheless, um, I went back and I, I looked at it. But as, as I was standing there listening to her, it's like, why should I know that word? Man, there's, what is that? What, why don't I know? I know that word. I'm just going to let you know. I've been studying this passage now for about two or three weeks. And I've been studying the Greek, and I, I'd already read that word numerous times, and I understood what it meant. But as she sat there and talked to me about it, man, I, I don't. What is that word? And what she tells me, and I'm like, ah, okay, that's, now I know why I should have known that word, because I've been studying it. You see, I'm not your answer either. And it's not like I know something that you can't know. I do believe that God has gifted me to do this. I do believe that He's given me a word to say and a voice to use. But His truth can be known by you too. And unfortunately in our culture, not only are we looking for rabbis, we put too much emphasis on credentials and we place too much emphasis on just a person's position and role. The truth is, that you can know the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can know the very things that I know. Now, it's not going to happen sleeping in your bed at night and you just wake up and boom. Well, today I know that the Trinity is true. Is it going to take some work? Is it going to require you at times to spend some time studying? Absolutely. You want to know the truth? He's made it available for you. And He's given you a spirit that will lead you to it. It will prove to you that it's true. You see, the, I mean, think about these guys in the early church. In the early church, they didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, let's start teaching people about the Trinity because I like that one. It's confusing. I think this will be an attractional thing to do because it's a different way to do church, you know. We'll, just do, we'll do church different. We're going to be different than the Jews. And, and so we need a three-in-one God. I don't know how people are going to believe that. I don't know how we're going to explain it. But, but let's do it that way. No. You know why we believe in a Trinitarian God? Because passages like this reveal it to be true. Passages like this have been used by the Holy Spirit to point out to His people that He's God, that Jesus is God, and that God the Father is God, three in one. I don't, I don't get it all. I don't understand it. But the Spirit in me helps me know that it's true. He leads you into all truth. Verse 26, it talks about the, He's going to remind you of the truth. And, and that truth... The truth, is it's going, to, it's going to assure you of Jesus' identity. It's going to point out the very fact that He truly is God. That, that truth is, is going to point out that His mission truly was to, to, to sacrifice Himself so that you and I could have life, to die so that we could live. To, to, to point out the very fact that, that the power and the miracles that He performed, the things that He did, were not empowered by Beelzebub as the Jews so, so eloquently accused him of, but they're the very power of God in the world. He's going to remind us and he's going to point to Jesus. And here's one that'll get you. If the others haven't got you, maybe this will get you. He's going to live in you. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. The very Spirit, the very presence of the God who created all of the world is making His home in His people. He is in you. He is with you. 
No longer are we to be alone. No longer do we have to wonder where God is or or as His people. We don't have to, oh God, why have You left me? He hasn't. Oh God, I can't make it. You've got to come in and do this. He's there. He's with you, living in you forever. And I will ask the Father... And He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. How is that possible? How is it possible that that we can experience Jesus today? How is it possible that we can know God's presence? It's because the Spirit abides in the people that God has called out. And those who believe, He lives in them. He makes Jesus apparent to them. How do we experience that power? How can I see the Spirit working? I mean, think back to the question I asked at the very beginning of this message. How can I live this obedient life? How can I live the life I've been called to? How can I do these things? And the answer is resoundingly. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. As believers, people who have been given the light to see, who have been given the power in this new nature, every day we wake up, every day we wake up, we have an opportunity, a choice. I can go into the world every day chasing after the things that feed me and that, that just filling up my selfish and sinful desires. Or I can wake up and I can go into that world recognizing that I've been sent on mission by God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit who enables you to live in that way. That, 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 that way, that, that lifestyle may entail us to tell others. It, it, it may entail us telling others. It may require us to, to quit being afraid. To quit being scared that we're going to say something and somebody's not going to like us for it. Jesus died for people. And people need to know it. And if we're not going to tell them, who will? It may entail us sacrificing something we want so that others can have something they need. It may may require us to help others in some way that we wouldn't normally normally act or or do. It it may require us to let go of the selfish things that we want. It may require us to, to sacrifice of the things that please us and make us feel good. It may require us to act in ways and to be a people who are sometimes ridiculed who are made fun of. But the, the interesting thing is, is that the apostles, when, when, when the Spirit came down on them and, and just anointed them and just baptized them in His presence, immersed them in His presence, they began speaking in languages, or I, I think this is the way it happened, is that they spoke and that everybody began to hear them in their own language. And this amazing miracle happened. you know the first thing that people said? Man, have they, got, have they been drinking? It's not even noon. And they're already drunk. Well, Seth, I don't have any stories to tell like that. I don't, I don't, I don't 
have any, I don't have any good stories to tell about how I went and got to tell somebody the truth about Jesus and they accepted. I don't have any, I don't have any stories about how I helped somebody and it was just a huge blessing to them. I, I hear missionaries talking. They've got these stories to tell that are just so amazing about how the Holy Spirit put them in this special place and, and God brought this whole series of events into, into, into reality and, and all of these people that were just blessed. I don't have stories like that. How can I live that life? Get off your death and live in such a way that only the Holy Spirit is able to do the things that He's called you to do. It's too easy for us to get up in the morning and go to work. We can do that every day on our own. I can get up and I can go to work every day on my own. And I can say, oh, I know the Holy Spirit keeps me in this job. I know the Holy Spirit is providing me the ability to do this job. That's a good blessing. But I want stories like like one I heard just recently. This guy I've known, I know, good friends with, he's been sharing with this person for a long time, witnessing to them. Doing something in an effort to see the Holy Spirit move. Weeks ago. Not even weeks, maybe maybe two weeks ago. His wife and he were sitting there sharing. This person goes home. Yeah, they don't know what's going on, but they get a Oh no, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It happens out in the front yard. You need to be saved. You need to trust in Christ. You need to believe in him. I am saved. I think I am saved. Well, how do you know? Because I believe. Let's talk about it some more. And they work it out that night. They talk it out. And the testimony of this person is that where there was anger before, now there's peace. Where there, where there, was, where there was turmoil, there's peace. There's been this transformation that nobody can explain. That nobody knows how it happened. We don't even know the exact moment that may have occurred. But we know it's real because the Spirit moved in and transformed her. She's in church today because she believes. Don't you want those stories? There's only one way we'll ever get those stories. Quit living in our own power in our own vanity. He has sent another helper who will help us do things that we can't even imagine. He will empower you to live in such a way that eternal consequences will result. People will be fed who are hungry. People will come to know Him that had no clue before People who, who were hurting will be given comfort. You see, we're called. We're called to this life of obedience. And, 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 and as, as this question is asked to Jesus, how in the world are we going to know you're there? Even when, we, even when the rest of the world doesn't? He doesn't say, well, you just do these things and you just follow this method. 
When, when jo- Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that we'll know you're there? How is it that you'll manifest yourself to us? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. In keeping Christ's word, you know what you're doing? You're living in such a way that the Holy Spirit must move in you to make it possible. You're doing things that are beyond yourself. You're living in such a way that only it's going to happen, it's going to have to be Him doing it. If anyone loves me, He will keep my word. My Father will love Him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. You want those stories? You want to know about amazing things happening? You want to be a part of it? You want to experience it yourself? Trust in the Holy Spirit and obey the commands of Christ that He might move in you and they might live in you, abide in you, and empower you. Every head bow, every eye closed.